taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, Season 5, Episode 5, and we begin with the Word of the Lord. This one comes from Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, which says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everyone. We've been praying for you. Uh, hey, um, just want to kind of do a little housekeeping, checking in with everybody and, and seeing how everybody's um, um, interacting with the uh, with the podcast and with the uh, website. We got some amazing podcasts coming up. We do have some things planned out that uh, we're pretty excited about. Um, and we got some um, articles that are going to be uh, kind of rotating through. We've got a whole team of of people that are that are um, just going to have just some fantastic articles, um, some good good groupings of people that we've got here that are all part of the team that uh, that will um, have some really good stuff. So be be looking for it, be ready for it, and uh, and take it in. Um, and uh, so, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome on Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Hope you're doing well. Doing good, doing good. That was a good. Uh, that was a good scripture to read. Uh, Titus is uh, one of those that <laughs> I got a lot of uh, highlights and a lot of scribble marks in that one. Yeah, that's a beautiful passage of scripture. Beautiful passage of scripture. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just to kind yeah. of go along, coincide with what you just said, I want to encourage people also that if you have a question, as Curtis was mentioning, we have a wonderful team established at Bellator Christie. We've got people from Seattle, Washington, Montana, to the Carolinas, uh, and all points in between. We've got some uh, wonderful people on, on board, and so um, if you have a question, in fact, someone sent us a wonderful question uh, the other day, and we've got one of our team members working on that question even now as we speak, and hoping to yep. maybe even get him on the podcast once he investigates this uh, material and uh, gets it ready to publish. Uh, if you have a question, by all means, send it to us. We've got a great team of people on board and uh, just chomping at the bit to cover any of your questions. So please go to Bellator Christie, submit a question. Uh, there's a link there. You can find it. And if you have any problems, uh, let us know. You can reach us by Facebook or email and um, just let us know. And we, we're here to help you. And uh, this ministry is uh, is here to answer the uh, your most pressing questions that you may have about God, uh, the Bible, theology, philosophy, apologetics, all in every point in between. So be sure to go there and get those questions in. All right. Yeah, so we are... Uh we're going to cover today um, a bit of your bit of your last um, the, your last article you wrote, Brian. Um, we'll dig into that. Um, do you want to go ahead and and uh, share the title of that article, and then give us um, maybe kind of a brief overview of what you were what you were trying to hit there with that? It'll be my pleasure. Uh, so the article just recently published at BellatorChristie.com is entitled Four Ways." That mental knowledge helps to explain unanswered prayer, and um, mm-hmm. and so this actually came from a book I've been reading on Louis de Molina uh, from Kirk McGregor. It's called "The Life and Theology of the Founder of Mental Knowledge," and he goes through talking about the history of uh, Louis de Molina and even talks about some of the 
uh, some of the works that Melina has had, both translated and untranslated. And by the way, there are more untranslated works by Melina than there are even translated. And so um, this article really is an, is established to help us to look at unanswered prayer from the perspective of uh, of mental knowledge. And and these four points that we're going to discuss, they're not original to me. They actually are found in Kirk McGregor's book, but I kind of fleshed them out a little bit more because I think they're wonderful talking points. And in fact, I think that we could probably even add more to, the li- to this list, uh, more reasons why some prayers go unanswered when we think about the whole parameter and perspective of mental knowledge. Yeah. So, and it was a good article. I I enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Enjoyed thinking about it. And uh, you know, there are some aspects of that 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 I'd I'd like to, you know, kind of go over with you, but not not right now. We'll get through these questions because I'm sure we'll probably be here a while on this one. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and what, just dive right are, into the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Long winded. Um, so let's go into number one. What does Molina cover in his untranslated works from what you discovered? From what I discovered, he, he talks a, about a lot of different things. In fact, in Kirk McGregor's book, he talks about um, how in many ways Molina was a reformer of the church. Now, he didn't leave the Catholic Church, but he, he finds a balance between uh, the reformers and Aquinas in some aspects. Uh, he also talks about his... Uh, um, some of his, the early life of Molina, he actually went to law school and was a, a planning on becoming a lawyer because he wanted that financial stability and security that came by uh, law. Uh, but God called him into the ministry, uh, and and he realized that this this constant worry and concern over materialism and security was actually uh, distracting him from from the calling that God had given him. So he actually writes a lot about um, the conception of middle knowledge. He discusses a lot of uh, Aquinas um, because Aquinas was you know is a major work then. It's still a major work now. Um, he talks, of course, about middle knowledge, libertarian free will, but even goes into uh, talking about uh, providence, the providence of God, predestination, and his view of predestination, and um, his practical theology. He even talks about social justice, and you know, I, I'd love to be able to talk to you, with you about social justice, but I haven't got that far in the book yet. So <laughs> that might be something for a further podcast, a future podcast. But uh, I mean, he covers a lot of different areas. And it's amazing to think that the majority of these works haven't been translated. Most of them are still found in Latin. Hmm. Why hasn't Why hasn't that been translated? What's What, what do you understand? Do you know what the reason is? You know, I think I think with a lot of things uh, in history, it depends. You know, Molinism. Molina has not been a, a center of uh, uh, focus up until really probably 1970s. So there's really a renaissance of Molinism now in, in Protestantism uh, because, quite honestly, most people was, were looking to the Reformers, uh, be it Calvin, be it Luther, be it Arminius, individuals like that. And so because Molina was still a Catholic, in, in Protestantism he wasn't emphasized very much and Interesting. Uh, and so most of his works went untranslated by the way the same is true with Francisco Suarez and many other individuals out there many, many other theologians of the past so mm-hmm. there's a lot of material out there that uh, just hasn't been a person just hasn't taken the time and uh, to go through and, and translate some of these works that's interesting that that's interesting. So, how does middle knowledge uh, impact prayer? So let's go. You, you know, one would think if if they've listened to Bellator Christie uh, very long that that a person would probably already know what we're talking about with middle knowledge. But we don't want to assume anything. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about middle knowledge, it's the Molinistic aspect of understanding that God has the knowledge. Before we're ever born, this knowledge is found in himself of the people he's going to make and going to create. God knows everything there is to know about every single one of us. Molina even calls this super comprehension. Uh, 
that God has this super comprehension that even outweighs even some other uh, theological parameters of when we talk about omniscience, uh, God's knowledge. But he said he calls this super comprehension that God knows everything there is to know about us. He even knows what free creatures are going to choose to do in certain circumstances and certain events. So when we talk about prayer, the Bible even tells us, I believe it's Psalm 139 where David writes, Before a word is even on my tongue, O Lord, you knew all about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So this really isn't anything um, that's new from a scriptural standpoint. It's actually something that's found along the lines of Scripture, but that God knows what we're going to freely do before we ever choose to do it, even when placing us in certain circumstances and situations. So God even knows the prayers that we're going to pray before we pray them. But Melina argues that God has created the world in such a fashion that even knowing that we're going to pray the prayers we do, that He's going to work through those prayers to impact the world. Even though God knows it's going to happen beforehand, God knows that the person's going to pray and that He is going to act in certain areas to demonstrate His glory, show forth His glory, and to impact the lives of individuals. So God even knows what we're going to pray before we pray. But some people would say, that why do why even pray if God knows what we're going to pray beforehand? Well, the reason is God has placed us in this world knowing that we're going to pray these prayers and knowing that through those prayers, He's going to make an impact in the world on our behalf. So what this shows is that one, even though God knows everything there is to know, it's still important Our actions on earth are still important. Our prayer life is critically important because it may be through those prayers, even known from eternity past, that God chooses to work through our lives and bring about certain ends uh, working through the the prayers of the saints. So what that is to say that even though God knows what we're going to pray, it's important that we do pray because by those prayers, we move the heart of God and he impacts individuals, he impacts uh, society, and he impacts things that we may face. Yeah, it's interesting because that's it's hard to um, it's hard to explain that. But when you read it in scripture, you see it. It's it's it it is clear when he's basically saying, you know, engage with me, you know, in this and. Uh, I already know what the outcome is, but engage with me in this because it's going to actually edify you and make you even more, uh, make you even more, make you yearn a bigger relationship or more of a relationship with with me. Absolutely, so that's kind of what God's that's what God's saying through there. Most assuredly. So, uh, what are the four ways the middle knowledge can account for unanswered prayers? So, as I mentioned this in the article. If you go back, I don't know how many of you have listened to country music, but there's a guy by the name of Garth Brooks, and he sings a song called Unanswered Prayer. And the prayer is based upon his own recollection of, uh, or whoever the songwriter is, assuming it's Garth Brooks. He goes back in his mind and thinks and recounts this time in high school where he had a love interest and he's praying that God would 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 bring him, that girl to him and that he would marry this girl. He wanted to marry this girl. Well, it didn't work out, and the prayer went unanswered. And so, because of that, you know, he you know wonders well, why did God not answer my prayers? But then, looking down the road, like twenty, thirty years later, he looks at his beautiful wife. He looks at the family that they've made together and the life that he has, and he goes back and reflects, saying, "I thank God for unanswered prayers, because if he had have gotten with that other person." And he reflects on what happened with that other person later on in life, that, that she didn't turn out to be the person that he thought she was. But now he has this wonderful, beautiful, godly woman. And um, so he's thankful that he didn't get the prayer that he prayed for initially. And so when we look at prayer from the from the perspective of middle knowledge, McGregor notes that, there, that Melina, this actually comes from Melina, Melina mentions four ways or four reasons 
uh, that me- or four ways that mental knowledge can he- help us understand why some prayers go unanswered, and some things have to do with uh, it has to do. Some things have to do with with the limitations of libertarian free will. That if you have free creature, free creatures, and if love operates in a certain fashion, form of fashion, then there's limitations on what you can do outside of forcing a person to do this or that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's other things we can talk about too. And I, I think the next few questions we're going. Well, let me just go ahead and say, first of all, that there are prayers that may be impossible to answer in the world that God has created. Not that God couldn't break the rules and, and do certain things certain ways. He could. But um, but some things go against the character of God. I mean, the, for instance, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. So if it's impossible for God to lie, if you're praying for something for God to do that would evoke Him lying or make Him lie, then of course He's not going to do that. It's, it goes against His character. So that's the first one. There may be some things that are logically infeasible for God to do, there are some prayers that may bring harm to an individual, such as the case with Garth Brooks' song. Uh, that may be the case. And then there may be some things that, pr- that are prayed that may bring about corporate destruction to not only an individual, but maybe to a society, to the family, to multiple individuals who may be harmed if that prayer was answered according to the way the person prayed it. So that's kind of four of those areas that Melina covers in his, in his book. And I think this book, let me look here and find this. Um, let me flip over here to it. This material comes, and I believe it's still untranslated, if uh, if I read correctly. Uh, this comes from uh, parts of Molina's Concordia that are still yet untranslated. And yeah, in fact, some of these, some of these, uh, sections. Uh, he still he he gives the translation, but then he goes back and he gives the text as it stands in the original in the original text in Latin. So, just out of question, I've I've always understood it and and have taught it that that there is no unanswered prayer. God answers it yes, no, or maybe. Yes. Or wait, you know. So, how are we able to now? Now, I guess not necessarily change this, but but look at this with what would be called unanswered prayers. Well, well the so, way the way we're so how wording, does that fit in? the the way we're wording this is you're right. The prayer has been answered, but the prayer didn't go according to the way we prayed. So so um, the answer in these cases. It was answered, but it was answered negatively. It was given a big fat no. Uh, so you could say that they were answered, but but the way Garth Brooks even uses it in his song "Unanswered Prayers" is he re- he readily admits that that the prayer was answered no, but just by the logic of the song. But the the petition itself. So, for instance, you're praying for something to happen. If that didn't happen the way you prayed it, then it was unanswered in the fact that it was not a positive answer to positive. that prayer. Okay. So, so that is a good point, Curtis. A point very well made. That that, that really, technically speaking, the prayer has been answered, but it's been given in a negative. So God did not answer positively to a petition that was given, and by that we mean that the prayer was unanswered in the positive sense. And the. And most of the time, what you're saying is is in, in here is it Molina is actually saying that most of the time that that's unanswered is it, or or no is because it's going against God's will in one of those aspects. In in many ways, it may go against God's okay. will, or it may go against. And so we got to be even careful here because. Um, when we talk about the will of God, there's a permissive will, there's a desired will, and a permissive will. Uh, so, in the, in this regard, that you know, for instance, we here at Bellator Christie, as we've mentioned before, we, we hold a non-Calvinistic perspective, which means, and no matter if you're Molinist or Arminian or Wesleyan or whatever, traditional Baptist, provisionist, whatever. Uh, the, but the, but the main thing is that we hold that it's God's desire for people, for all people, to be saved. But God permits some to reject His will, and it's not that He desires that any. Well, the, for instance, the Bible even tells us that hell was not made 
for human beings. And he, by the way, this is a problem if you hold to hardcore Calvinism because you make the Bible lie. Because if hell is not intended for humans to go there, if you say God elects people to go to a place that he never intended to, for them to go, then it, to me it seems logically that you got a problem with that. Uh, in in my way of thinking, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but it just to me it seemed that's the case. So anyhow, not to get off on a rant on that, um, but essentially, but essentially saying it's, it's God's desire. But we're going back to the whole will. Um, when Jesus tells us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, we understand that there may be some things that we pray for that we really want, but they don't come the way we petition God for them to come about. And so when we talk about the will, you're right. Yes, some things don't come across because it may not be God's desire for it to happen that way, or God may even have a better plan than what we would even think or consider. Yeah, so so then the yes, the answers of yes, no, and wait or not yet, right? Right. That would be in that. Because there's something better coming, exactly. That could possibly okay. And so, okay. and so you're right. Some prayers may just because you haven't received them yet doesn't mean that God hasn't uh, come through. I mean, honestly, Curtis, it's amazing how God comes through. I can, I can give you a testimony. Just this past week, the past few weeks, yeah, we had to we had <laughs> to spend an exorbitant amount of money for my son's braces, and we had to pay down on it. By remarkable ways, uh, in remarkable fashions, and I don't want to say how this came about, God provided in in ways that we never anticipated to provide us the amount that we would need to put down for the braces. And so, uh, you know, we've said, God, help us through this, but we never anticipated how he was going to do it. Now, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't win the lottery or anything like that, but he came through in his own way. Because you didn't share. What's that? You didn't share. Oh, that's if right. If you won the lottery, you didn't share. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, ex- I'm expecting a little <laughs> a little friendly gesture here. Yeah, hey, man, if I, won, if I won millions of dollars in the lottery, I mean, we would have Bellator Christie. We'd have pay, everybody, <laughs> paid staff. We would be... We would be ready to roll. Careful now. <laughs> Careful now. We might, <laughs> might draw the crowd in, I guess. Well, I haven't won the lottery, so there's not. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to worry about there. Yeah. That's, all volunteer. Yeah. Wonderful all volunteers at that. So, so you, you mentioned the four ways in your quick little. Is there is there anything on those you'd, you'd, like, to, you'd like to actually go in depth on? And talk about well, I'd kind of like to actually maybe go through all four of them, and let's just kind of okay, go through. So them. let's so let's go ahead and go through the um, the the first one. Then I guess um, the I guess infeasible or impossible answers. So in, impossible that are impossible to to answer. So in this case, so those would be like a square. That would be like a square circle or a. Uh, married bachelor, exactly, and so and okay. and this corroborates. It's not that God couldn't do this, but God has made the world according to certain standards. So we know that a square and a circle are two very different things. Now, contrary to our friends in professional wrestling who call the mat the squared circle, now we know that doesn't work. But because it's either a square, or it's a circle. It can't be both. You know, if now, they hit their head too many times, so uh, well, you know, we have to give them a little credit coming off the top <laughs> rope as they do. You know, <laughs> yeah, elbow drop from the top rope. That's my favorite move. Macho man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> now you got me craving uh, slim jims. <laughs> oh man. Not everyone, not all of our listeners will get that. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I gotta say something Good right stuff. quick. There's a, uh, uh, there's, there's a, there's one of the facilities I go in, and there's a uh, lady there by the name of Elizabeth, and I, and I always say, "Hey, Miss Elizabeth," and someone, someone standing nearby said, "Oh, that's old school." <laughs> That's an old school reference there from Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Not many people yep. got that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's good stuff. 
But yeah, certain yeah. things are impossible. Mine was Hulk Hogan, buddy. So hey, that was my that's my all time favorite professional wrestler. There, uh, you got to go with the yeah. Hulkster man. <laughs> Good stuff. But yeah, Melina argues that some things that people ask for may go may be impossible to bring about, and it's not that God can't do it, but it's just according to the way, just because according to the world He's built. Uh, so, for instance, mm-hmm. praying for to be a married bachelor, well, that would be an impossibility. Um, and and also things, uh, you know, like if you were to go back, and he mentions, um, McGregor mentions going back and praying that the Holocaust never happened. Well, that would be nice, but is God really going to go it's back? Already and, happened. It's already happened. It's already been done. And so that might be an impossibility to do. Uh, now, could God operate through time and possibly do that? Maybe in his power, but there again... You know, there would be problems with that, uh, even though that would be nice to that'd be a nice prayer to come true that that would never happen. But uh, you know, for instance, people may ask God to uh, to use some form of evil to avenge themselves against something that's done against them. Well, it's you know asking God to do evil against a person. Well, if God is an absolute is the absolute good, uh, can God really do evil? Uh, or, or in Titus one two, it tells us that it's impossible for God to lie. Could God really lie? And so that goes against the moral nature and character of God. Now, having said that, when God brings judgment, He takes His hand of protection off of something uh, or someone, a nation, or whatever the case may be, and allows other entities to bring about uh, just measures to bring about judgment. So that's not to say that judgment couldn't come, but to ask God to do something evil would go against his moral character. And so these are some of the areas where you know people may sometimes ask God to do something that goes against his character or maybe, quite honestly, an impossibility according to the world that God has created. Mm-hmm. So then so then could this how how does this play out if if in Psalms, Book of Psalms, David talks about, you know, he he had there's there's Psalms in there that talk about um, him, him wanting God to to destroy his enemies or to um, oh, the imprecatory you know, even, even Yeah, even to a point where he's where he says, you know, bash their faces against ba- bash the, their, against the rock, bash their infants' okay. heads against the stone. It, yeah. That that isn't necessarily then a prayer of of violence or to do evil. It's a prayer of of he, David's wanting God to judge them. For judgment? Well, I think when we come to the imprecatory psalms, when we come to the psalms themselves, we have to understand that these are many times an emotive response to something that's been done. Um, Some of this language could even be... I mean, honestly, we all get really frustrated at times. All of us do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll get—I'm not a fast driver by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll get behind someone who uh, is doing 20 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, and I've often imagined myself how nice it would be to be able to have a monster truck at that time and just roll over top of them and go <laughs> keep going on, you know. <laughs> now, would I actually do that? No, but you know, it's just in the frustration of the moment. You know, you're calling for things like that. And so I think many biblical scholars would say that that hey, you're from North Carolina, dude. <laughs> Remember, Rubin's racing, and I think that started there, <laughs> NASCAR land. <laughs> it did, and you know, and honestly, <laughs> push him out of the way. Yeah, honestly, a bunch of the early NASCAR drivers were moonshiners, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they got started. They were running for the law, you know, like Jimmy Johnson, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was a big time. I, well, at least that's what I've been told. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I've been told that many of the early NASCAR drivers were, were moonshiners and no, trying to true. run for the law. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, when we talk about yeah. the imprecatory psalms, I think you know we we got, we look at these prayers and we see the emotive response. And does David literally mean that he wants? God to to grab the infants of his enemies and bash their heads against the stone. Maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't seem like God answered. God didn't answer that prayer. So, you know, in some cases, right. you know, it it may be 
Uh, I mean, and that's what we have to. That's what we have to do a lot of times with the Psalms. Right. We have to understand that a lot of these are prayers. I don't think that's intended to be taken literally. Uh, and man, that would be a whole other podcast in and of itself on how to interpret mm-hmm. the Psalms. I think that would be a great series for us to do maybe sometime in the future. But um, yeah. but yeah, that's just an example of one of these prayers that people would pray. Um, but there again, I think, you know, this is poetic literature we're talking about here, and so uh, I think we have to translate it as such. Yeah, yeah. Or interpret it, I mean. So what about what about those of the middle, w- with middle knowledge, uh, accounting for the things that are logically infeasible? Now, here he doesn't say logically impossible, but he says, you know, logically infeasible. And what he means by that is that for God to answer certain que- certain prayers prayed certain ways, that it may be that he has to break some fundamental that he has established or something like that. So, for instance, mm-hmm. we may pray that God um, grabs hold of someone and changes a person's life instantaneously. Now, does God have the power to do that? Of course he does. Um, but is that how God operates? You know, here again, if we hold that, that people have freedom of the will or free choice or free responses to God, however you want to word that, uh, if people respond to God, then by the nature of the way love works, you have to have a lover who's issuing forth love, you have to have a beloved who freely receives love, and you have to have the spirit between, as Norman Geisler would say. So in this case, if God is forcing himself on someone or forcing a person to do this or that, then he's, he's, he's circumventing that person's freedom of the will, and he's essentially forcing a person to do that. And when God had rather desire that a person respond, uh, and quite honestly, if you force someone to do something, is it really going to take? Is it really going to be... Um, is it really going to last? You know, we were talking before the podcast about the different types of uh, seeds that Jesus talks about in the parable. Um, that's something, you know, you could consider. Um, so some things may be, it, it may not be impossible for God to do them, but it might be infeasible because it may circumvent something that he has established or a methodology that he uses in some way. So uh, middle knowledge ensures that God will place each person in the best circumstance to receive his love, particularly uh, those he knows who will respond to his grace. So uh, I think what we can do is, or what we should do is to pray that God gets someone's attention. And Lord knows I've, you know, I have people I've prayed that for as well, that, that, uh, right. God would, would, would get their attention. God would move in their hearts. And I think those are all good prayers to pray. And I think God does answer those prayers. Uh, God will put people in certain circumstances and, and will move on pre- people's lives to bring conviction and to bring um, yeah. uh, things of that nature. But ultimately, uh, if, if, freedom, if, if we do have free will and we are able to respond to God's grace, then ultimately, right. as Melina would argue, um, God will move, but it will ultimately be according to whether the person responds. And I think we all probably know someone uh, that's reached rock bottom and then and reached it again, and you kind of wonder, you know, God's working in that person's life to try to bring them to faith, and, and you wonder how can they keep on rejecting God's grace after He spared them time and time and time again. And... Um, Sometimes it just seems like some people just rege- – that's why I honestly believe that it's harder to go to hell than it is to heaven. I honestly believe it because I think to go to hell, you have to reject and resist the presence of God and the advances of God up until death. And who knows how many times God is reaching out to reach the lost soul. Um, as as I, I talked to a lady the other week, she said, you know, going through trials and tribulations, she said, I don't know how anyone makes it in this life without the Lord. And I have had to give a big old hearty amen to her. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But it tells us in Romans 1 that we, that even though we have the knowledge of God, because of just the natural surroundings, we still reject Him. Yeah. And I think that's that shows the pride of man, mankind, yeah. that we had rather have we'd rather have a Burger King philosophy 
do things our way rather than than say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus teaches us to pray. Yeah. Hmm. So then again then uh, how does the middle knowledge account for prayers that are uh individually harmful so that's harmful to that specific individual or or to the situation well and it may be both uh so for instance if you okay. go so l- looking back at garth brooks song if god had answered his prayer the girl didn't turn out to be the person he thought she would be um if God had answered his prayer as he prayed it, then he would not have the later family that he would have. Um, if God answered his prayer the way he prayed it, then then who knows, he may have gone through a nasty breakup, a nasty divorce. Uh, he may not have um, had the friends and, and connections that he, he now has. Uh, it, it's almost like if you think about that Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I was thinking about this the other day. That's really a good portrayal of middle knowledge. As yeah. as, as the, as the yeah. guy is going through life, things aren't going, everything's not going according to the way he thinks. And he thinks to himself, it'd be better if I was never born. And the angel Clarence takes him back to to see how things would have been if he had not been born, if he had not existed. And his wife would; uh, she never married, and and the town itself wasn't uh, the way um, it turned out that it would have been if it hadn't been for for his existence there. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because yeah. you wouldn't think that one person can make that big of a difference, but the way that God has orchestrated everything together, one person makes a huge difference. And so, if you think of "It's a Wonderful Life," if you think of Garth Brooks's song. If God answered every one of our prayers according to the way we prayed them, we may be actually praying for something that would be very detrimental to us and to other people if it was answered in accordance to the way we prayed it. So in that sense, that even though we had good intentions, uh, it may have been something harmful in the end. So God answers or unanswers the prayer by giving a no, uh, or doesn't answer the prayer the way we want it. Uh, we'll say it that way, or answers in the in the in the form of no. And in that sense, he's actually looking out for us in ways that we never even realized. So sometimes, by God saying no to us, it's actually for our own good. Hmm. But see, God would have known that He would know the counterfactuals as to what would have happened if He answered the prayers the way we wanted them to, instead of His will. Right. Okay. So, I know our uh, I know our Calvinist loved ones would just <laughs> claim that as sovereignty. Well, and Molinists would too, and so would Arminians. Mm-hmm. So why would they? Why wouldn't they understand this or see this as um, God? God interacting with free creatures with. The knowledge of the knowledge of where they would end up at, and what things would wind up being, and, and still, you know, I guess, why would they? Why would they say that? Just pull pull that away and just call it God's sovereignty. Well, because for for those who are hardcore determinists or hardcore Calvinistic, um, and, and again, there are variations. I want to be fair here. There are variations of Calvinism that are far more open to. To, to libertarian free will, like for instance, Augustinians are far more open, even though they're they're slightly more deterministic uh, than well, depending on whether they're early Augustinians or late Augustinians. Early Augustinians are really more closer akin to Armenians, quite honestly. But um, um, having said all that, if you take that ultra hyper five point tulip Calvinistic perspective then you're going to say that people cannot respond to God's grace or you know that God's will is going to move in that, in that person's life. So where they would argue is they would say that there's not a responsiveness to God's grace, that God just moves according to His will. But the beautiful thing about middle knowledge and the, uh, and the take that, that we find through this is that, uh, that our prayers still do matter uh, our lives have an impact, and in, in, in especially in the way that we respond to God's grace. 
Uh, and God is looking out for us, even by not answering prayers, sometimes that may be destructive to us in the end. And we would never know it until later on. Right. So then how does middle knowledge then account for uh, prayers that are corporately destructive? L- let me first preface this with with a theory called the butterfly effect. Um, there's a theory out there that everything is so intrinsically interlocked and interlinked in in the world that even if a butterfly theoretically speaking were to be in the right place at the right time that the wind from the butterfly's wings could go down a cliff in Africa at the right time to eventually catch up with some other wind and eventually develop into a hurricane that would impact the east coast of the United States Theoretically, it may be possible. Now, whether or not it happens, I mean, you may have to have something a little larger than a butterfly. But the point is, is that everything is so interlinked and interlocked that one event on the other side of the world can cause a chain reaction that will impact people on the other side of the world. In the way we live, in in our lives, whether we realize it or not, and this goes back to the whole idea of It's a Wonderful Life, our lives impact other people in the world in ways that we don't realize and we would never realize because there's this cause and effect situation scenario that everything is interlocked and everything is part of God's plan, even even the minute things that we don't understand. So, for instance, keeping that in mind, if God were to answer some of our prayers, not only the way we pray them, not only would it bring harm to ourselves, but it may bring harm to other people. So, for instance, let me give you an example. Abraham Lincoln said, if you really want to see what a person's like, put them in authority, give them power, and you'll quickly find out what they're like. Some people may pray to be in positions of power and authority, and God may not answer those prayers because they may not be suitable to be in those positions. In fact, I used to work with a person a long time ago uh, who was fantastic on the floor, but once that person was put into a position of leadership and authority, that person became like a dictator almost overnight to the point that, that's, that many people were asking, is this even the same person? Who is this person? Okay. So with that in mind, when we pray for certain things, it may be that if God answered the prayers the way we prayed them, that not only would it bring harm to us, but it may bring harm to other people. Now, many people throughout the world have prayed to win the lottery. But here's a true story. This is, this is a true story that happened in a, in a neighboring state uh, to ours. There was an individual who won the lottery, and they won millions of dollars. And they, they didn't have a whole lot, but they won millions of dollars. And over time... The, the person's children got hooked on drugs. The, the person's spouse left them. Uh, and everything accumulated. They spent so much that they ended up going bankrupt in the end. And the person went back and said that, I wish I had never won the lottery. I wish that I had never won it because it brought more bad things to my life than any good that I could have ever imagined it would have. It may be that by God not answering certain requests, that he's not only looking out for our good, but he's looking out for the good of other people. Now, if God has middle knowledge, which we're proposing and Melina proposes that he does, then God would know what would happen if certain prayers are answered and how that's going to impact other individuals. So Melina argues that middle knowledge helps us understand why some prayers go unanswered or at least are negated in that sense, because it may be that having accomplished that prayer or, or uh, affirmed that prayer or confirmed that prayer, that it may have brought a lot of bad things to a lot of, a lot of people. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, are, we, are, we, are we thinking too, too much about this? Um, because are we is would this um, 
have an opportunity or have a position where people may be, um, you could say, scared to pray then because they would be now worried about what it's going to affect across the world. Well, no. In fact, I think this should actually do the opposite. This should actually encourage us to pray more because what we find in this, according to middle knowledge, is the fact that that God is is working on our behalf. In fact, we even find in Romans chapter eight that uh, that the Spirit is praying on our behalf, even when we don't know what to pray for. He is interceding on our behalf. So, no, this actually should embolden us. It actually should have the opposite effect to embolden us to pray, but understand that um, just because God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we think He should doesn't mean that He doesn't care for us, and it doesn't mean that He's not looking out for us. It may be that by Him not answering a certain prayer a certain way, that he's actually looking out not only for us, but actually other people. Now, sometimes there are certain circumstances where you wonder, you know, um, you know, why why couldn't certain things have happened the other way, other ways? Uh, but with everything being interlinked, it's um, he has a purpose and he has a form or fashion for for whatever it is. And I think some things we're just not going to understand when it comes to God's will until we get to eternity. But no, I don't. I don't honestly with theology. I don't think we could overthink anything, because one of the things that Molina says in one of his untranslated works is something that I have actually thought a long time myself. That we're going to continue learning more and more about God, not only in this life, but perhaps even in eternity, because God, being uh, who God is, I don't know that there's any way we could ever even fully understand everything there is to know about God, and we should be pursuing these kind of things, quite honestly, to because this is a form of worship. If we don't think anything about God, and we don't think anything about the things of God, then I think we really do God a disservice because we're not really focused on Him and meditating on Him and trying to learn more about Him. It's kind of like if any relationship we have, uh, you know, we're going to spend a lifetime trying to learn right. more and more about our wives and wives right. learning more and more about their husbands, uh, at least if we're doing it right, <laughs> at least if we care about that person. And so I think the same thing is true in our walk with God. But uh, no, and, and that's a good point to bring up, Curtis. Instead of scaring us, this should embolden us to pray even more fervently and knowing that, again, that if God doesn't answer our prayer in the way we prayed it, it's not that God doesn't care, but it may be that he's got either something better for us, or it may be that the way we prayed it uh, would would bring more problems and more bad than it would good in the end. Mm-hmm. So I heard, I heard this question, and it was on another podcast know, about a week ago or so. The person asked, what is the purpose of, of faith and prayer from this life going into eternity with, with the Lord? What, what aspects of why would he have it um, that way now? Um, is there something in, in, the, in the heavenly realm that we need to have faith or have and have prayer um well in I, that I would answer first of all when when talking about prayer that prayer is I don't even know that prayer all the time needs to be vocal I mean sometimes it's right. just about communion it's spending time with the Lord right. and it doesn't always have right. to be I mean because God's not a Santa Claus and I think sometimes we do right. treat prayer as if we're, we're sitting on Santa Claus's lap and asking for a whole host of different things. Prayer is our communication with God. It's, it's our communing with God. And yes, I mean, there are some times that we need to petition God for certain things. Um, mm-hmm. so, so prayer, in that sense, is our communion with God. 
And as it relates to eternity, I, th- I think that you know we're, we're just we build in our communion with God, and and then we're talking about a time and place where we have the ultimate communion with God when we're in paradise in the spiritual realm, and then eventually the new heaven and the new earth, a new creation, even more so, we'll have that full communion with God. Now, as it stands for the other aspect of the question, I have often believed that this life, in many cases, when especially talking about the trust that we have in God, I have often believed that this life is a training ground for the one to come. That heaven is not going to be a boring place. And once again, once I finish the dissertation, the plan is to finish that book on heaven because this is some stuff that I hope to talk about in that book on heaven. I want to do one on NDEs. I've been challenged by my friend, uh, uh, well, our our friend, TJ, to write a book on NDEs. That's going to be on, on the queue as well. Um, but anyhow, um, I think that this life is a training ground for the next one. The Bible tells us, Curtis, that we are going to stand in authority over angels. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. And that's a high position that we're going to have. Yeah. Being part of even, I mean, if you, if you hold hyzers, and I know this, this is uh, a yeah. <laughs> controversial thing about a divine council thing, but but I do think you know, whatever you do with that, I do think that uh, that we are given positions of authority in heaven, whatever that means. I don't think heaven's going to be a boring place. I don't think it's going to be a place where we sit on the front porch singing kumbaya and twiddling our thumbs. It's going to be a very active place. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have positions. They're not going to be cleaning toilets or anything like that. They're going to be positions we were made for. These are going to be. This is going to be positions that allow us to live to our full potential. And so the things we go through in life are in many cases preparing us for the jobs, positions, and the authority that God has give. It will give us in eternity. Man, I, used, well, I just then, it gets me going just yeah. to think about that. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just gonna say, well, we better move on because I don't want to <laughs> get stuck on that subject. But yeah, no, get me start I mean, preaching it, now. <laughs> that was why that was why I asked the question is because I do believe that that there is a purpose for what we're doing now. Why we go? Why we go through the things we do? Why we understand the the things the way we have to understand them? is to is to be able to have that foreground so absolutely um uh so what can we take from molina's position on prayer and its impact well this this may kind of repeat what we've just mentioned but i think it's a good summary right nonetheless that that god knows everything there is to know past present future he knows all there is to know he even knows what we're going to pray for before we pray it. But some people may be inclined to say, well, why pray? And the reason is twofold. One, because prayer is our communion with God. It's our communication with God. But two, by his middle knowledge, God has so designed this world to to and planned it out that, that our, by our prayers, that our prayers will have an impact. Now, for, for some theological systems... It almost seems like prayer is futile. It's just something you do. But in the Molinistic perspective, at least according to what he's saying here, is that God has so arranged everything together that, that our prayers do have an impact, that it's important for us to pray. Now, as I've mentioned before and I'll mention again, I think the biggest problem concerning all of these perspectives has to do with how we understand a timeless God in a, in a time, in space and time. And it's very difficult for us to, to understand that. But just because God knows something in the past doesn't mean that it's not important for the present and doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's not going to impact the future. So what we find is that we have this sovereign knowledge of God, knowing providentially all things that are to come, but God also arranging things where what we do in the present time, even spiritually speaking, especially spiritually speaking, has a tremendous impact 
on our lives and the lives of others and even the world in general. Yeah. Boy, this has been pretty deep. Um, <laughs> fun, nonetheless, and, and interesting. Um, and and I, believe, I believe as we probably um, think on this and dig through this a little bit more, I think things become a little clearer. Mm-hmm. You see things in Scripture where it definitely, once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's right. Um, you know, and I think that is part of God's grace upon us is allowing us to see the things that we need to see at those times. I think it's a great thing. So, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, We here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers at this podcast help stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith and strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Hello, this is Brian Chilton, president of Bellator Christie Ministries. In this topsy-turvy world, many ministries have found themselves focused on a variety of issues and have thusly watered down their focus and vision of the ministry. We at Bellator Christi want to remain focused on the calling and vision that God has given us since starting back in 2012. That is why we are implementing what we call the three nons of Bellator Christi. The first non is that we are non-denominational. We have members of our team from various denominational backgrounds, including Southern Baptist, Assemblies of God, Evangelical Free, Church of Christ, non-denominational, amid many other backgrounds. At Bellator Christi, we are focused on the core essential doctrines of the Christian faith rather than the somewhat often myopic lens that many denominations use. Secondly, we are non-political. We believe that it is the right of every citizen to be involved in the political endeavors of their community, of their state, and their nation. However, many organizations and ministries have taken up that mantle and focused upon it therein.
We at Bellator Christi want to focus on the kingdom of God and the triune God as we believe that God holds the answers to our nation's woes. This does not mean that we will not occasionally discuss issues and politics that cross over into the philosophical and theological world, but rather we will not endorse any political candidate or party as we are focused on the kingdom of God. Lastly, we are non-Calvinist. We at Bellator Christi hold to the non-Calvinist perspective. While the official position of our ministry is devoted to the Molinist interpretation, we have members of our team from various non-Calvinist mindsets. As such, we, we use non-Calvinistic interpretations in our theology and classical and evidential approaches in our apologetic systems. While we find ourselves needing to narrow our focus, our mission at Bellator Christi remains the same as we take up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics and enter into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.